everybody. Anne Louise Gittleman here with your First Lady of Nutrition podcast. And this episode of First Lady of Nutrition is brought to you by UnikeyHealth.com. Unikey Health has been my go-to for all of my co-formulations and personal formulas for over 25 years. And I'm very excited today, legitimately so, to talk to a man who doesn't come to us from the health field. He's actually a whiz in finance. He stumbled upon a possible treatment for certain types of cancer, and I'm very, very thrilled and grateful to have him with me today. Hello to you, Mr. Joe Tippins. Hello, how are you? I'm okay and very anxious to plunge into this interview. So tell me about the story of how you discovered how a dog dewormer might be an answer to cancer. Well, I'll try to give you the reader digest version. Um, in August of 2016, I was... Uh, moving to Switzerland for a five-year stint. I already had my Swiss green card and an apartment and all of my clothes were already over there. And literally 24 hours before my flight, I discovered that I had a very large tumor in my left lung and it was, it was biopsied and determined to be small cell lung cancer, which is the deadliest of the two kinds of, of uh, lung cancer. Second, really only in deadliness to, to pancreatic. Mm. And so I uh, canceled my gig in Switzerland and s stayed home and s started on a pretty regimented protocol uh, at MD Anderson in Houston, where I went through you know, simultaneous chemo and radiation. The, there were complications with the radiation in that in order to get to the tumor, they had to go through my esophagus six times a day. Mm. And they uh, inadvertently burned my esophagus into bacon. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> Where not even water would go down. And I uh, chose not to do a feeding tube. I chose to live off of my fat stores and my muscle stores until my esophagus healed. And thankfully did that. So through September. September, October, November, and into December, inclusive of brain radiation as a prophylactic measure, I went through uh, hell and back, as a lot of cancer patients do. And in uh, late December of 2016, my PET scan had good news and bad news. The good news was that the large tumor the size of my fist in my left lung was gone. And so the radiation and chemo did its trick. The bad news is that there was wide metastasis. And if anybody Googles widely metastasized small cell lung cancer, you'll quickly find out that the uh, survival rate is literally zero. And the, the mean life expectancy is about three months. Um, strangely enough, I was never deterred. I was positive I'd figure out a way to, to fix it, but intervention would happen. I got a phone call the next day from a large animal veterinarian in Western Oklahoma. And he told me his crazy story about a, a lady scientist who was doing cancer research with mice in her lab and her entire mouse population well, she had been injecting cancers in all different body parts, brain, stomach, liver, pancreas, et cetera. 
And she found out her entire mouse population had come down with intestinal parasites. Well, if you go to any zoo, you'll see that fenbendazole is actually brought in by the front end loader because mm. uh, it's used for literally every animal in the animal kingdom from a small guppy or a tiny bird all the way up to an elephant and everything in between. Mm. So she gave her mouse population fenbendazole to rid her, the mice of, of intestinal parasites trying to save her research. And it did, it kept them alive, but she went back later and found that they also were cured of cancer. Uh, and she found that serendipitously, actually. Well, as luck would have it, or bad luck would have it, she herself was diagnosed with fourth stage glioblastoma, which had wrapped around her brain stem and was inoperable. Mm. And, they, and they were told there was nothing they could do. So she decided, what the heck? Um, and started taking finbendazole, and she cured herself of four-stage glioblastoma. Well, I wasn't able to verify that story. I was, it was just he said, she said. It was by word of mouth. I wasn't able to talk to this lady. But I decided right then and there I had nothing to lose. Mm -hmm. It doesn't take much to Google and find this drug is safe. It's been used for 40 years. It's off patent. Um, there's a sister drug that is FDA approved called Mebendazole. And in my Googling, I found that Johns Hopkins had done a successful trial with Mebendazole and, and brain cancer. And so that was enough for me. I just started taking it blindly. Um, and kind of the dosage was passed down by word of mouth. It was, you know, wasn't really scientific at all. And so all of January, this is in 2017, all of January, all of February, all of March, all of April, I had really no idea what was going on inside my body. And now when I went in for my follow-up PET scan at MD Anderson in May, of 2017, I was all clear. And there was a lot of head scratching going on and uh, quite, quite a stir because that just doesn't happen with widely metastasized small cell lung cancer. Mm. Um, I was actually, in all fairness and honesty, I was also on a uh, clinical trial. Keytruda had already been approved for non-small cell lung cancer and they were doing a clinical trial to see how its efficacy would work on small cell lung cancer, which is a, really a completely different cancer. And so uh, uh, to be honest with you, I didn't want to get kicked off of the trial. So I didn't tell anybody at MD Anderson what I was taking. And uh, followed up another scan from May of 17 to um, July of 17, and then another when in September of 17, when the clinical trial ended, and that, that's when I fessed up to what I was taking. Um, it was pretty interesting conversation surrounding that. And so now, what, did, what did they have to say when you actually fessed <laughs> up? I'm curious. Well, interesting responses. My, my chemo oncologist at MD Anderson scratched his head and said, you know what? We've known for decades that this 
anthelmintic class of drugs could have an impact on cancer. Mm. And in fact, and in fact, 30 years ago or 20 years ago, there was a anthelmintic in the same class of drugs that was used um, uh, widely uh, on ovarian cancer called levamisole. Mm. Um, and so there's about, I think, eight drugs in the category. They, and anthelmintic simply means to, you know, to kill anti-worms, anti to intestinal parasites. And um, he said, you know, I, 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 I believe it. I, I agree. And I said, well, here's the, here's the puzzle. Was it because I was on the Keytruda trial? Or was it a combination with the finbendazole and the Keytruda trial? I needed to know. I mean, intellectual curiosity, I wanted to know. And in private conversations, I have to tell you, um, multiple doctors agree that it really wasn't the Keytruda. Oh and wow. And, 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 and the reason why is simple. Um, Keytruda was not nearly as successful for sm small cell lung cancer as it has been for non-small cell. And in, and in fact, um, it's not very not, not successful at all. <laughs> you have to remember some of these trials are not, the end game isn't remission. Some of these trials are, can we buy you two years of extra life? And the and that's called an objective response trial. And the, the trial I was on, the objective was two years of extended life. It wasn't remission. And I'm pretty sure I can't get anybody to fess up and be honest with me, but I'm pretty sure I'm the only one in that trial that is in total remission. I think most people got two years and are still died. So this is so you're a living miracle, to be honest with you. Well, yeah, I, I think so. But it's not a living miracle because, you know, then what happened after that's what kind of made my life crazy. I, my word of mouth, my story passed pretty far and wide solely by word of mouth. I mean, it was as close to being viral without it being on the Internet as, as one can get. And I got really tired of fielding literally hundreds of phone calls and having to start from ground zero, telling the story. So in um, May of 2018, almost two years after I was diagnosed, I decided maybe I should write a blog and that way I won't have to tell the story over and over again and I won't have to start from ground zero telling it. People just read the blog. Well, that was naive because then the blog went viral all over the world <laughs> with, with no effort, no marketing. Um, it's now at about 5 million hits from 96 countries. Oh, how, again, what is the name of your blog, by the way, so we don't forget to ask you? It's pretty simple. There's a new extension that replaces .com very cleverly called .rocks, R-O-C-K-S. And so the, the, the website is My Cancer Story dot rocks my cancer story my friends dot rocks right and and on that on that particular it's a website slash blog you tell the correct protocols and some of the well, testimonials yeah. well yeah well actually i just start chronologically from september of 2016 all the way to current day 
and try to keep it up to date. I'm not very good at it, by the way. Um, and from that, a Facebook group called My Cancer Story Rocks uh, formed up. And it's, uh, it's very difficult to manage a Facebook page with literally thousands of, of members. So I solicited volunteers to be administrators and moderators of the Facebook page um, because I just simply don't have time to do it. And graciously, I've gotten volunteers and I've went through the whole set of first volunteers that kind of got fatigued. And then I came back out in round two to get a new set of volunteers. And they're all incredibly wonderful people that do everything for free as volunteers. And it's, it, they're a godsend. I can imagine. Well, along the way with 5 million people in 96 countries, all uh, wanting to try this and literally thousands and thousands of people's calling it and trying it. Um, success stories other than myself started coming in, in all different kinds of cancers. Um, and so then I had the dilemma of, you know, is my story credible? Well, the first decision I made was if I, I just really couldn't figure out a way to monetize it and make money off of it, because then I'd lose credibility. Yes, um, very, the, very, part, very, very true. Yeah, part of, the, part of the reason I'm credible is I have no skin in this game other than to help others. And um, so I haven't made money off of it, but it has cost me a lot. I mean, I spend thousands of dollars and I spend a lot of hours trying to keep all this, you know, answered and moderated and, you know, and it's hard to keep up. Um, but along the way, uh, the success story started rolling in both on the Facebook page and to me personally and by email and phone calls. And I decided I needed a, a credible institution to look at this. And at this point in time, a hundred percent of this is all anecdotal. It's he said, she said, and you have to trust whether these people are being truthful or not. And we don't know their medical files. We don't know their doctors. All we know is that they're reporting successes. And we also don't know the denominator. I mean, <laughs> I've chronicled uh, about 150 success stories of all different kinds of cancers. And can but you I, just, and what, but what? I don't, but I don't know how many the denominator is. In other words, I don't know what the successes and failures. I hear about some of the failures, but I don't hear about all of them, I'm sure. Um, can and, I ask you this question? What are the, can you tell us what are the most successful cancer stories you've heard? What kind of cancers does this particular menbendazole well, deal with or treat successfully? Well, actually, I would be, it'd be a shorter list to tell you um, cancers that I, I think it has not worked for. Okay, go there then for me. <laughs> um, it works for some breast cancers. It has worked for some breast cancers, but there's also a couple of the subtypes that it, uh, it it's clear to me that it, it, it may not work. And one of them is triple negative breast cancer. The one that one of my close friends has now. Thank you. And um, now some of the most fascinating ones, as we all know, pan fourth stage pancreatic cancer, virtually nobody survives. Correct. And, and, uh, and there's seven cases that I know of. And let me tell you the chronology of those seven cases. In, in five, well, in all seven cases, 
they were taking this regimen or protocol and it was not eliminating the cancer, but it was holding it at bay and allowing them to resume a normal, normal lifestyle way beyond their life expectancy. Most of these people have been given three, three to six months once they have fourth stage pancreatic. Mm. And um, in all seven cases, it, they went way beyond that. In fact, in, in five of the cases, they're, they're now two or three years into it and it's, they still have cancer, but they're resuming their normal lifestyle way beyond what they're expected to be able to do. And are they still taking the Benbenvitol? Yeah, ben yeah, yeah, yeah. I recommend people take it the rest of their life as a prophylactic. Uh-huh. And, 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 but in two of the cases, they're really fascinating. After a full 18 months on the protocol, and their intent was to do what it was doing for other people, just keep it at bay and let me resume my life. In two of those cases, after 18 months on the protocol, miraculously, there's no evidence of disease. From four-stage pancreatic to no evidence of disease is <laughs> really crazy. Crazy and wonder uh, wonderfully crazy. And so, uh, um, you know, I'm, I think those are impressive stories. I think my small cell lung cancer wide metastasis is a pretty impressive story because it's second deadliest to pancreatic. Pancreatic cancer. And um, now there's lots of cases of, uh, quite a few cases of colorectal success stories. Um, a handful of success stories with metastasized melanoma. Um, and success stories with bladder cancer, liver cancer. Um, bile, what about bile duct cancer? You know, I'm not, I don't know. Um, esophageal, yes. Esophageal, um, yes, that's a big one. Yeah, and um, probably some of the more interesting ones are, you know, um, that fenbendazole is not FDA human approved. Okay, let's just get that out there to the front. And so I'm not doing anything illegal because I'm not prescribing it. I'm just telling people what I did. Correct. And if they choose to follow my footsteps, that's their business, right? Um, and I have to give that disclaimer constantly that I'm not a doctor. I'm not a scientist. I'm not authorized to be prescribing any drugs. At the inception of all of this, I had done a, a man years of research myself. And I came to the conclusion that a couple of other things to add to the fenbendazole would, in conjunction would be beneficial. And it started out with four and I've eliminated that back to three items. Which are? The, the, I think the key are the bioavailable curcumin. And when I say bioavailable, most curcumins that are just over the counter in the grocery store or the drug store your body's only going to uptake about 15% of that to your bloodstream. And there's companies out there that have altered the curcumin to be bioavailable so that, you know, more like 85% is uptaked into your system. So bioavailable curcumin is one. Number two is broad or full spectrum CBD oil at 25 milligrams a day. And number three 
Um, uh, I just lost my train of thought. Bioavailable curcumin, you've got the CBD. Yeah, okay. Well, well, those are the other two to make the three. The fourth I originally added was tocotrienol and tocotrienol vitamin E complex. Mm -hmm. I have since eliminated that for a simple reason. There are just too many maladies out there where vitamin E is problematic um with such such if somebody's on blood thinners or you know there's quite a few reasons why you'd have to or if you're on chemo uh, quite a few reasons why you wouldn't want to take vitamin e so just for safety's sake i've eliminated it from the protocol uh, it, the uh, the research goes back quite a while on these drugs and you know there's people i tell people if you want to find an answer on google you, you can look hard enough you'll find what you're looking for but that's a problem too because then people read something that they don't understand and then they make it the gospel and it becomes a problematic i'll give you an example there's a re, there's a 15 year old research uh that says fenbendazole could damage the liver and you got to really watch your liver enzymes well for that reason i started out at recommending people only do it three days a week and they take four days a week off and after having hundreds and thousands of people on this thing uh and then re-reaching redoing the research i've come to the conclusion that that research was at dosages about a thousand x what we're talking about for humans and of course you take a thousand x of anything you're going to cause problems so what is the recommended dosage joe well right now it's all in the blog um it's it's easier for me to to say look read the blog because it's um it's you know it's about uh the, the dosage for fenbendazole is simple it comes in granular packets and i recommend the packets that are for 10 pound dogs <laughs> 10 pound dogs okay yeah which which is one gram of powder and in that one gram of powder there's 222 milligrams of fenbendazole Right, so a and human I, would probably take about a quarter teaspoon. No, well, it's actually one gram of powder. It's in, it's in a, it's already pre-measured out in the packet, and you just take that once a day for seven days a week. So um, you take. I have it, and in then the reason I'm asking you is that I have a Panacure C in front of me. Which yeah, and what which one is it? There's there's one for some small dogs all the way up to large dogs. Well, it doesn't necessarily say. It says fenbendazole granules 222 mg per gram. Right. So the dosage is one gram of that powder per day. I recommend the product for 10-pound dogs or smaller because it's already pre-measured at one gram per packet. The one that I got, and people will make the same mistake, is each packet treats 40 pounds. Okay. So how many grams of in that packet good question Probably. it should say on the packet i'm gonna have my it person take a look at it <laughs> anyway four grams. yeah so you would have to divide that in four parts and then take that once a day a quarter teaspoon i'm doing it correctly thank you yeah, there you go okay and but if, you're but, saying but you're saying you can take it every day Yes, and I've changed that in my blog to, to recommend seven days a week. And then people just need to watch their liver enzymes and in case they do have problems. We, we have almost no people having an issue with it. I, in fact, I don't know of any. So 
but I'd have to caution you that it's really the 222 milligrams of active ingredient finbendazole that you're looking for because there's all kinds of products out there that have come in different volumes. It's the liquid form and it comes in a liquid if you want to buy it that way, but that's a hundred milligrams per milliliter and, and you need 250 milligrams of active ingredients. So that would be two and a half mils uh, for that dosage if you're converting liquid from the granular. Right, so you gotta know what you're doing. Do, are we aware of what the actual mechanism of success is behind this? Yes, that's probably the best question you could ask. Good. Um, there are three scientists uh, in India who started out, I found out after the fact, 15 years ago, doing research at MD Anderson on finbendazole. Mm. And then they moved from the United States back to India. One of them has recently moved back to the United States again. Um, and they have proven with black and white proof of the three mechanisms by which this is working. And it's pretty fascinating. The, the first one is each cancer cell, no matter what kind of cancer it is, have you know, the, the the image I'd give you is some pillars in the cell wall that are holding that cell up and they're microtubules. And those microtubules are not only kind of holding that cell wall up, they are necessary for that cell to be able to divide and multiply. And the finbendazole is, is basically knocking out those microtubules, preventing the cell from multiplying and dividing and living. The second, there's three mechanisms and they get more impressive as you go. Mm -hmm. the, the second me me mechanism that they've proven is, as most people know, cancer literally, its metabolism thrives off of sugar. Correct. And the fembendazole is interrupting the cancer cells ability to metabolize sugar. So then it kills the cancer. Right. And then there's a third mechanism, which I think makes is even the most exciting of the three um, and also makes it what what I think is a very good preventative medicine. Um, all healthy people have cancer floating through your body 24 seven, 365. But you all have if you don't have cancer, you have a very healthy level of a the cancer killing gene called P53. And for all of us that get cancer, typically what happens is either our P53 mutates to where it can't kill cancer anymore, or for some unknown reason, our tighter levels or our, lev our, our healthy level of P53 drops to a level that it can't kill cancer. And the Indian scientists have proven that finbendazole produces new wild type fresh P53 that can now start going back through your body killing cancer again. Mm, so and when you, put all, when you put all three of those together, the microtubules, the metabolism of the metallic, metabolism of sugar and the P53 cancer killing gene, um, it, I, I think, I'm not a scientist, but I think all three of those mechanisms are working simultaneously. So and then that's I, why you... So yeah. I have another question then. 
So it seems to me that if something like this can work with a disease as, as devastating as cancer, what can it do with lesser diseases? Well, if it's a disease that requires those mechanisms, I mean, I see here you're getting over, you're already beyond my pay grade. Um, well, I'm looking know, at, I'm looking at diabetes, for example. Well, so, um, if somebody has a, a blood, a high blood sugar, this is not going to stop the blood sugar. It's, it's stopping the cancer cells ability to metabolize the sugar. It's not affecting the sugar level. So that's why here's where this is all leading to. And I think it could be one of the most exciting things in cancer and I'm proud to say I'm kind of at the forefront of causing it all to happen at once. You, you were a catalyst. But um, following Oklahoma Medical Research Foundation agreeing to audit my cases, a scientist at Stanford called up OMRF and said, hey, we'd like to kind of join that effort um, because, you know, we really believe there's something here and we think it ought to lead to a pretty early clinical trial. And so they joined the effort. And then uh, a scientist at the University of Washington called and said they wanted to join the effort. And then um, let me backpedal just a little bit and tell you um, another group that I actually believe in. And uh, there's a lady in the UK called Jane McClelland. And I don't know if you've ever heard of her. The name is rings a bell. <laughs> she 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 wrote a book that is a must read for anybody that has cancer. What's the name and, of the book? And it's called How to Starve Your Cancer. And it's not. I know you're a nutritionist. It's not about nutrition. The word starve is not talking about your body. It's talking about starving the cancer cell at the molecular pathways. And um, she was kind of the first proponent of repurposing drugs in a cocktail for cancer. And she, uh, and then subsequently a group in the UK called Care Oncology came up with a four drug cocktail. Oh, yes. Um, and and it's been very successful. And in that cocktail, it won't surprise you to find that one of the drugs in that cocktail, and all of them are off-patent, generic, cheap drugs. And in that cocktail um, is metformin, which is a diabetic drug. Mm -hmm. It makes sense. If you can lower the blood sugar, you get you got less fuel for that cancer cell to live off of. Absolutely. Um, and another one is this, one of the statin drugs, and I, you know I, I don't know the four drugs in the cocktail, but I know they're they're pretty successful. Well, that's a lead-in to the next uh, group that I'm in contact with and working with, um, Dr. Vikas Sukatmi. Uh, he was the chief medical officer and the dean of the Harvard Medical School. And he and his wife have real passion for repurposed drugs. There's a real reason. You think about it. The cost of going through a phase one, phase two, and phase three clinical trial has become just almost cost prohibitive. And in, 
in in the United States, if a drug is already FDA approved, it can be prescribed by any doctor for any reason other than the the reason it was originally trialed for. So, for example, you just use metformin. Metformin. Any doctor can prescribe metformin for cancer, even though it's a, a diabetic drug. And so, if you can come up with the right cocktail of generic cheap drugs um, that are already FDA approved, there's no need to go through the lengthy trial processes that require a new drug to go through. And so, Dr. Sakatmi and his wife Vidula. Uh, wanted to stand up a full-time research program on repurposing drugs for cancer. And I, I'm not privy to the story, but it didn't work out with Harvard. So Dr. Sikotmi took his resume and went to Emory University in Atlanta. And he's now the chief medical officer and the dean of the Emory Medical School, which is a very good medical school. Mm-hmm. And he and his wife have uncovered 215 already FDA approved drugs that are targeted potentials, not not known yet, but targeted potentials for repurposing in various cocktails for cancer. So they've called and now they've joined the effort. So now we have Stanford, Washington, OMRF and Emory all kind of looking at my success stories and and auditing all of this and looking at at taking this to the next level, which is pretty exciting. Very exciting. Now, my listeners are very much into alternative health. So just using the fenbendazole is very, is very attractive to many of us. Are there any side effects to using that? Out of uh, literally thousands of people taking it, yes. the, best, the best I can figure is about 10% of the people experience mild diarrhea with it. But I would make the case if it's only 10% and there's thousands, who knows what else is causing that? It, it, not all of it is fenbendazole. And what kind of worms is fenbendazole designed to eradicate? You know, I did a book called Guess What Came it's, to Dinner. It, it, yeah, it is not, a, it is not a, a heartworm medicine. It's only for any kind of worm, and there's dozens, that can invade the intestines, in, intestinal tract. So does it primarily target the intestinal tract? Some of the worms are, I know, tissue invasive and they're organ invasive. Well, um, now you're again over my pay grade, but... Um, oh, you're, you're pretty smart, Joe. I, <laughs> I, uh, here's what I believe. It's, it's getting, it kills worms in a completely different mechanism that it kills cancer. Okay, so people get confused by that, and they, and they also get confused by dosages. They think, well, I'm 180 pounds, and if this is for a 10-pound dog, don't I multiply it times 18? Well, no, because it, it gets into your bloodstream, and it kills cancer at a much smaller dosage than a dog needs to kill a worm, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, you know, Interestingly enough, I feel stupid. I have never really researched the mechanism that it works for worms. I've just researched what it's doing for cancer cells. Well, the interesting connection here, and I know this is something you're not a favor and a fan of, but I have written many, many books on natural remedies to eradicate parasites. The first one I did was in 1991. It's called 
guess what came to dinner? And all of the parasitologists and all of the ancient healers, the herbalists that I interviewed at the time, all felt that there was a connection between cancer and parasites. What that connection is, I can't tell you, but my teacher very specifically told us many, many years ago that worms were the most immunosuppressive agent known to man. So I've always taken that to heart. So I think there is a connection. It'd be very interesting to evaluate well, that. Well, I'm not against what you're saying. I would say I have a hard time believing that all different subtypes of cancer are caused by parasites. I just don't believe that. I believe there are some, there's a connection. Yeah, the, the parasitologists, and with this, we can conclude this, 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 this aspect of the conversation. The, the, the man that I really was, was most in admiring of and admiration of is, is since passed many, many years ago, but he was a World Health Organization parasitologist from Columbia. He felt that it wasn't the big worms that were the problem, not the ones in the gastrointestinal tract, but the small ones that were tissue invasive, whether they were amoeba, giardia, blastocystis, or anything in between. So well, you're you're preaching to the choir. Look, here's an overall thesis that I want your listeners to understand. Fenbendazole is dirt cheap and very safe. And so the question I have to ask about 50 times a day, the people are worried about it. Go well, I don't know if I should do this or not. And I'm going. You know what? My biggest problem is people that come to me and say. It's now too late. I'm on my deathbed. I'm in hospice, and I wish I'd have listened to you a year ago. And because I, I really need people to think, you know what? It's never too it, late. It's well, it it, it 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 can be. No, it is. I mean, I, I hit a lot of people that that are not successful with this protocol because I, I bet you 80, 90 percent of them are because they started within two weeks of death. Which means oh, they were, oh, oh! They were just too late. They, they, it was not. There was not not enough time for the for for the Finbin to do its deal, to do its magic, and I, I just ask people this: if 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 you can Google it and you can figure out that it actually is safe to take at the right dosage level, and it's not going to hurt your liver, and you're it's there's zero downside risk. Well, I can't honestly look anybody in the eye and say, this is going to cure your cancer because it doesn't work in 100% of the cases. But I can say, you know what? The downside risk is zero. And there we know with 150 success stories out there already, and I know there's more I don't even know about, yes. there, is up, there is upside. So if in, in business, if the downside risk is zero and you got upside, yet, you know, go, go for it. Do, do these people that take the fenbendazole, do they also change their lifestyle? Do they change their diet or they just take the dewormer? Well, look, there's thousands out there. How do I know? But some people, uh, I don't know percentages. Some people actually do it all. They go the, the entire holistic approach, all the other holistic things. I advise people, look, it, if cancer starves, it lives off of sugar, just cut out sugar and anything that converts to sugar to the best of your ability. Um, that's the extent of my advice because I, I'm not a nutritionist like you. I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not a doctor. I just common sense says, you know, you shouldn't be doing sugar, but I'll have to fess up to you. I didn't change my diet. Once my esophagus healed to where I could eat, I ate. 
<laughs> and we've heard a lot of people say that, Joe. So, <laughs> so this is so this is the closest thing to kind of a miracle worker that I know of. I mean, you've had spectacular success. I don't want to downgrade that at all. Well, and by the way, don't get confused. Some people say, you know, because fasting has made an impact on cancers as well. And um, I, uh, some people say, well, did my uh, uh, accidental fasting from my esophagus being fried impact it? And the answer, sure. is, abs the answer is absolutely no, because um, my metastasis happened after the fasting. <laughs> interesting, interesting. So, so this is, so the other question, and then I'm going to let you go. You've been very, very generous with your time. People can find you on, tell me again, the website. www.mycancerstory.rocks, R-O-C-K-S. Dot rocks. And do we have any reports, once again, I, I wasn't clear on this, any other reports besides cancer that this may assist? Uh, no, because, you know, I, I, all I focus on is cancer and my Facebook page, just so people know, in order to be a member, you have to be a caregiver or a direct patient. And you have to agree to stay to the point of my blog and my protocol, because as you know, those things can, in social media, can just go completely out of control. You get a lot of riffraff in there. Yes, yes, uh, yes. A lot of crazy people. And <laughs> so the, the moderators really keep that tightly um, controlled to just our story and this protocol and cancer only. And when they try to ask about, you know, parasites and all this other stuff, they get shut down because we're trying to keep it very narrow. And I apologize for that. But if there's so many websites you can go join if you want to know about those other things. We had to stay focused. Including AnneLouise.com, my friends, and a wonderful oh, there book you, called There You Go. Guess What Came <laughs> to Dinner. So I want, I want to thank you so much for all of your time. You've been delightful. You've been to the point. You've been, you're, and you're very authentic. I mean, I really appreciate that you're, you're not in this to make money. You're in this to truly help people, and I salute you for that. Well, you're welcome. All right, my friends, I want to thank you all again for listening to the First Lady of Nutrition podcast. Join me at annlouise.com for other articles, podcasts, and videos, and we'll see you next time. God bless.